0: Thank you. Um, I don't think I've ever, ever heard that website work bio read out in a church context. Um, So I'm actually feeling a little bit like (laughs) I should just sit down and go home right now because uh, the reality isn't going to be quite that professional. Um, But um, it is true that I grew up here in Basingstoke um, and it's so lovely to be here today and just see so many um, familiar faces even just i I have this incredible memory um of pd there was a time when i was really sick um in spain and pd just took care of me for days and i am like forever grateful to her for that it's a long time ago now but i remember it very very clearly um however that is not what we're talking about today um so we're today going to be talking about uh The whole topic of refugees and asylum seekers and what, as Christians, is the response that we should have in the space um, of this topic. Um, And before we get into it today, I think I just wanted to pause and acknowledge that we're probably coming to this issue from a whole range of different places. Um, So you might be here today finding actually this is a topic that you find difficult or problematic to talk about. Um, You might be here today because you've got a friend or a family member who's experienced forced migration. You might even have experienced it yourself. Um, And so we all bring our own kind of histories and our own stories um, to today. Um, And so we're all kind of hearing this in different ways um, and from different places. And my hope as we talk together is that wherever we're coming from um, in hearing these words today, that actually what together we will see um, is just something of the kindness of Jesus. Um, and I remember one night a few weeks ago, um, maybe a couple of months ago actually, I couldn't sleep and um, I was praying and I because I couldn't sleep and I just was filled with this incredible sense of peace and could see, um, Jesus's face. And the thing that was so notable about it was just that kindness was emanating from it. Um, and that's something that has stayed with me ever since. And so that's my prayer, um, this afternoon that together we, um, encounter something of the kindness of Jesus as we talk about this topic. Um, So, um, as as Margie said, I set up a charity called Refugee Education UK. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about that um, later on. Uh, What we're going to do is just briefly, a little bit of a whistle-stop tour, look at something of the global context um, of forced migration right now. Um, Then we're going to do a kind of brief theological uh, framework for how we situate ourselves as Christians in the midst of that. Um, And then I'll share a little bit about what that's meant for us in Harlesden, where I live at the moment, in London, and setting up Refugee Education UK, and ask the question of what it might mean for you guys here in Basingstoke. Now I get the first test as to whether I can actually use the clicker correctly. We'll see. I did drop it. Oh, there we go. I did drop it on the floor earlier and thought I might have broken the whole thing, but it seems to be working. Um, so I, um, I, I really love my job. I genuinely think that I have got one of the best jobs in the whole world. And it really is because of the people that I feel honoured to have met. Um, and so this afternoon, this isn't a kind of theoretical um, talk. It isn't a political or even a theological debate. Um, this is something that is about real people um, each one of whom is intimately known and intimately loved um, by god, um, and so I thought I would just uh, tell you with their permission obviously um, a little bit about two people that um uh, have been dear to me for a long time or who I very recently met. Um, Obviously not their real names. Um, So I wanted to tell you just a little bit um, about Abdul, who I met nine years ago. Um, He was 15 years old. Um, He'd fled recruitment into the Taliban in Afghanistan. Um, It took him six months as a 15-year-old on his own to get to the UK. Um, In that time, he had a kind of an extended period um, in a fridge compartment of a lorry, um, and so suffered from long-term headaches as a result of that. Um, He was referred to us by his social worker to Refugee Education UK and participated in almost all of our programmes right up until he went to university. Um, He's since then been granted refugee status, that was a long time coming, Um, and is, is now a British citizen. Um, in August this summer, um, I received a text message, a WhatsApp message from him saying, I didn't want to tell you in advance, but I've just re-entered Afghanistan. Um, I didn't want you to know that I was coming, but this, so this was just after the Taliban had taken Kabul a couple of days afterwards. Um, I need to try and get my sister and her baby out. Um, And then subsequently, um, he got trapped there himself. And we began a kind of three-month process of trying, um, actually feeling incredibly helpless, doing whatever we could to get him out and finding that we couldn't do very much. Um, Last week, uh, he came into our office, having recently managed to get back to the UK, um, and shared his story with some of us over lunch. Um, And so I heard about how he was in um, the ISIS bomb at Kabul airport, um how he couldn't get his sister and her baby out um but did manage to get them a flat in a safer part of the city where they could be a bit more anonymous as family members of somebody who was in the uk um and how he saved the lives of several people in uh, stories that i unfortunately don't have the time um to tell you today uh He's now back in the UK hoping that the next round of the resettlement scheme might be able to help some of his family, um, but living with that uncertainty and unknowing. Um, And listening to him, I was completely humbled. Um, He's a very quiet um, young man. I was completely humbled um, by his quiet but immense bravery um, and just was sitting there reminded of what a privilege it is to know him. Um, on Friday this week, I met a young lady called Elena, um, a recent graduate in her early 20s, um, just arrived in the UK three weeks ago through the Homes for Ukraine scheme. Um, now, trying to bring her mum and her eight year old sister to join her and trying to work out what her education, um, that she'd kind of got at great expense and to a very high level in Ukraine, is going to mean to her here in this new context. And she spoke. Um, articulately and actually emotionally um, about how her faith in Jesus um, had helped her through the last few months and the horrors that she has lived through. Um, So these are just two stories. Oh, see, I knew I wouldn't be able to master the tech. There we go. Um, These are just two stories, but um, increasingly forced migration affects all of us in some way shape or form um, there's over 84 million people um, uprooted in the world today and that's the statistic calculated um in 2021 so before the war in ukraine um, Every day on average, and by the end of today, an additional 32,000 people will have been forced to flee their homes. And uh, there was a young Syrian boy um, in that context who said, We're just looking for a quiet place where nobody hurts you, where nobody humiliates you, and nobody kills you. That was from a nine-year-old. And we have the impression that huge numbers of refugees are coming to the UK or to other kind of European economies but actually the vast majority um, are in middle to low-income countries with their own struggles um, and own difficulties and but the UK uh, doesn't exist outside of these global phenomena um, and the war in Ukraine has brought some of these issues home to many of us in a fresh way Um, So at the time that I was preparing this talk, um, and obviously the numbers change every day, um, around 5.3 million people had fled Ukraine as a result of the Russian invasion, um, and there was a further 6.2 million displaced within the country. Um, And the United Nations High Commissioner has called it um, the fastest-growing refugee crisis um, in Europe since World War II. Um, It's estimated that half of those fleeing Ukraine are children. Um, As you all know, um, the UK government has now opened um, a new humanitarian sponsorship scheme called Homes for Ukraine, where an unlimited number of Ukrainians can come to the UK if there is a host to welcome them. Um, So we said that this kind of conflict in ukraine had caused a number of us to kind of become aware of some of these issues or maybe empathise or think about some of these issues in a fresh way. Um, If this is you, um, firstly, I'd want to say... Brilliant. I'm so glad that this is sparking these thought processes for you. Um, but the second thing that I would want to say is that remember, um, in parallel, uh, what is happening in Ukraine is being replicated over in so many countries. Um, since the fall of, the, um, of Kabul to the Taliban last summer, we've seen thousands, thousands of Afghans um, displaced, large numbers resettled to the UK, um, 13,000 Afghans still in emergency hotel accommodation, some right here in Basingstoke. Um, and so it's not just Ukraine, um, it's Afghanistan, it's Syria, it's Yemen, it's everywhere else. Um, and we should be extending the welcome that we're extending to Ukrainians, to all refugees, whatever country of origin they come from. Um, and so, a brief, oh gosh, every slide I'm going to do this, I can promise you. Um, so, um, a kind of brief theological framework, um, as Christians, why should we care? Um, I think, you know, for me, I, I, in conversation with some friends about some of these issues, I've had people say, you know, well, it's okay for you. Like, this is like area that you work in all the time. It's just what God's called you to. It's not really, like, what I do. Um, but I truly um, believe that whatever we like, do um, in life, whatever we spend our time on, uh, God calls all of us to care about people who have been forcibly displaced um jesus i mean it's not it's really so basic isn't it jesus commands us to love our neighbor um and we live in an increasingly globalized society where the afghan boy who is living in a hotel down the road is most definitely my neighbor and the uh, syrian girl in a refugee camp in jordan may well be my neighbor tomorrow um but there are also a few kind of theological things in the history of the Old Testament that help us to understand this as well. Um, and at this point, I want to say that this is very much scratching the surface. And if you're really interested in a theological understanding of these issues, please check out uh, King's School of Theology, short course, brilliant. You get Barney Asprey, who is, uh, also grew up in Basingstoke, also went to the King's School, um, uh, who is a brilliant uh, what's the term for what Barney is? He's done a PhD and then worked and he's not quite a professor but he will be one day. Um, He's brilliant and he knows a lot about these things and he is wonderful. So go to his course if you are um, really interested in really digging into the theology of this. Um, But a couple of things that we can touch on today. I think when we look at the story of the people of God in the Old Testament, we see that they were themselves displaced. Um, So they were aliens, they were described as, in Egypt for 430 years. Um, And then when God led them out of Egypt, that's another displacement. For generations, that would have been the only home they'd known, and they're led out of it to somewhere else. So we have this kind of double displacement in the history of the people of God in the Old Testament. Um, They knew what it was like to be oppressed, to be persecuted, to be exploited, to be away from home, to be in a culture that was unfamiliar. Um, And they're constantly reminded of this. Um, You can find verse after verse after verse where they are reminded that they were the ones who were the foreigner and who were not at home. And then there's this second category, um, the displaced immigrants um, who would settle in Israel um, in the Bible. Um, And there is a word in the Old Testament, um, gerim, that is uh, one of a few words used to describe those who settled um, in in Israel. Um, And it's actually, the use of this word is actually really, really amazing and really useful in terms of how we think about refugees and asylum seekers today. Um, so the root of the word "gear" it suggests that it refers to people who have experienced some, and fled some kind of strife um, or some kind of pain. Um, and they are mentioned repeatedly in groupings uh, with the orphaned, the widowed and the poor of the host nation. So groupings where there is an automatically assumed duty of care. Um, And then there follows sort of detailed instructions about how this should be worked out in day-to-day life, um, which, again, we're not going to kind of go into today, but that that backdrop is there. Um, And then, of course, we have the life and the teaching of Jesus. Um, All of this is only possible when worked out from a place of love. Um, Jesus was love, and his whole entire life was about reaching out to those who are marginalized or suffering. Um, Barney says, uh, he shared a quote from a theologian called Leslie Hopper, which said that the Bible is a literary tapestry woven from the stories of migrants. Um, and I love that. I think, uh, you know, all of us are kind of displaced in some way, shape or form, aren't we? Whether that is um, in an eternal perspective or because we've physically experienced forced migration right now in this earth. And when we read the Bible we see a book of stories that we can relate to when we don't feel like we're at home. Okay, so now uh, let's see if I can press the right button. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, um, okay, so um, from that backdrop, I just wanted to share a little bit of our story. Um, so what, um, what, what we've done in Harlsdon, um and how our theology has shaped that a little bit. Um, so uh, Refugee Education UK is now a national charity um, working to help children and young people who've had to flee their homes because of conflict to get into education, to thrive in education, and then use that education in ways that are meaningful to them. Um, but we started really, really, really small um, as a tiny volunteer-led project um, with no idea what was going to happen over the coming years. Um, so growing up I think, um, here in Basingstoke, I, um, and I was happy and lucky and fortunate enough to be in a family that kind of encouraged these questions, I found myself kind of grappling with, like, who even is Jesus, and like, what does it mean to spend our lives trying to see something of the kingdom of God on this earth now? Like, what does that mean? Um, and then when living in Harlsdon, um we happened to see that there was a growing number of refugee children, like on our doorstep, in our community. Um, at the time this is going back 10 years um, Halsden had the highest, or the, the area that Halsden is part of, had the third highest number of unaccompanied refugee and asylum-seeking children um, in London, and London itself has about 70 percent of those children in the country. Um, And so we just set up a really tiny um, volunteer educational mentoring project with 10 volunteers from our church, with 10 children from the local Further Education College. Um, It gradually... Grew until today. We now work with about um, between seven and eight hundred young people each year um, across London, Birmingham, Oxfordshire, east of England. Um, and we also work with um, a few hundred schools, colleges, and universities doing training and capacity building, supporting them to support newly arrived young people. Um, and we have a research and a policy stream where we will do work around various aspects of policy for education for refugee children and youth for different United Nations organizations. Um, We're a Christian organization, um, but you don't have to be a Christian to work um, for us. Just as our hope is that the young people that we encounter will experience something of the love and the kindness and the welcome of Jesus through their interactions with us, that is also our hope for our broader staff team, that they would also experience something of that through working with us. We get that wrong a lot of the time. It it definitely doesn't always happen, um, but that is our hope and our aspiration. Um, there's two things that are part of our story right now, and um, that if I could ask you to pray for us as an organization, I would love. To have your prayers on. Um, we are obviously kind of continuing to respond to working with larger numbers of young people and children from Afghanistan. Um, and we already have um, new arrivals from Ukraine. So we're looking at what do these kind of significant increases in numbers of young people to what we ordinarily work with? What does that mean for how we work and how can we do that in the best possible way? So really appreciate your prayers for wisdom um, in that. Um, We're also refurbishing this building, Uh, so this is why there's a picture of this building. I believe that uh, my very good friend and chair of our trustees, Joy Johnston, uh, came and spoke to you guys a couple of months ago in January and talked at quite some length about this project, so I'm not going to recover that ground, um, but just to say that we are trying in a collaboration between Refugee Education UK and Community Church Charleston, we're trying to turn this derelict bank uh, with its, you know, mushrooms growing in the floor and pigeons in the roof and all kinds of issues that it turns out it has um, into an education centre for refugee young people. Um, we thought it was going to cost £400,000. It turns out it costs £2 million. Um, we thought that £400,000 was a huge uh, faith step. Um, so it's an interesting journey that we're on, um, but we're seeing all kinds of incredible um, provision. Uh, so please do pray for us as we are. Uh, we're about £100,000 short at the moment, so that's my prayer request. Um, so everything <laughs> everything that we do is about equipping young refugees to build positive futures through education. Um, but Why? Um, so even this in itself is influenced by our theology. Um, so what we do, kind of education support for young refugees, really could have been anything. You know, it could have been housing, it could have been legal aid, it could have been um, health support. Um, and I could give you the pragmatic answer, which is that. Um, of the 84 million people forced to flee their homes, almost half, um, of those, half of those who are children amongst those are not able to attend school. Um, the refugee children in the UK are waiting up to nine months to get a school place after they have arrived here. Um, that Only 3% of refugees globally are able to access university, um, and we don't think that any of that is okay, and we don't think that it has to be that way. Um, but... For now, a slightly more theological take, um, which is that as we spoke to young people, we saw um, and heard from them that education at this time was the only forward looking thing. ...in their lives. Everything else was looking backwards at kind of retelling the story... ...to help to sort out the asylum claim, speaking to a counsellor, whatever it was. There were things that were backward-looking. And it was when they invested in education that they got to look forward. And so we started to see that if we chose to invest in education we could send a really powerful and clear message that we believe that they do have a future and that it is a future that is worth investing in. So essentially, um, it is a prophetic statement for us. I told you earlier about the Syrian boy who said, we're just looking for a quiet place where nobody hurts you, nobody humiliates you, and nobody kills you. I think we can all agree that that is a fairly low bar. Like, that should be the minimum. Um, But what if there could be a place of learning, a place of healing, a place of opportunity, a place of life in its fullness? What if there could be restoration and hope? And I really do believe that there can be. Um, Why? Um, Because this is who Jesus is. And it is what he does. Um, And we are here and we're his people today. Um, The life of Jesus, if you look at his life and read about his life in the Bible, it's like a constant story of picking individual people out of the crowd and showing them that they had value. Noticing people when others didn't. And at the heart and the core of the Christian faith, we have the resurrection from the dead of this Jesus that gives us hope for a renewed and a transformed future. Um, So we live in the now and the not yet. And at times like this, I think we feel very aware of the not yet of God's kingdom when we see so much violence and death and destruction and brokenness almost everywhere we look. Um, But anything that we can do that is dragging Sometimes by the skin of our teeth, just little bits of God's kingdom into the not yet, I think is worth it. So, what might that look like for you as a church? Um, And really, that's just a question that I kind of want to leave with you today. There's a few kind of practical things um, that I can leave on the screen, Um, but really, you guys are the only people that are going to be able to answer um, this question, but when it comes to increasing numbers of people in Basingstoke who are seeking sanctuary, having had to flee really difficult situations, what does that mean for us as a church community? Well, If you're an individual, it might mean pray, it might mean become an advocate, Um, it might mean support financially, um, whether that's, you know, an organization um, or uh, people that you know are in need. Um, It might mean welcome and befriend yourself. And I, I, yeah, all I can say is like, that is not you doing a good thing, that is you getting the opportunity to befriend people that will enrich your life and that you will you will learn and grow so much from. Um, Volunteer locally. Um, For churches, I have to look to check that I've done it right still. Um, For churches, again, similarly, um, if you are in an area where there aren't so many refugees, which isn't the case for Basingstoke at the moment, you can still do all of those things. Um, Wherever you are as a church, you can become a welcome church. I don't know if Hub Church Basingstoke is already a welcome church. Yeah, amazing. Um, So, for those of you who are sitting here thinking, what even is a welcome church? And we are one, okay, great. Um, Look it up. Um, Welcome Churches is a national organization that exists to help churches become more welcoming places for refugees. So, it's got loads of resources for you, but it also means that if there are refugees or asylum seekers who are looking for a church, they can be put in touch with you by Welcome Churches, um, which is really, really great. Um, finally, I think I would encourage you to connect with the local authority, connect with other organizations that are working, and see what are the needs, what are the gaps, what facilities and resources does the church have, what skills do you have, many and varied, I'm sure, um, and where can they be put to use. Um, but the final thing I think that I would close with as a, as a tip is just don't forget the really, really basic things. Like if I found myself uh, displaced and in another country and I showed up at a church, really what I would just be hoping for is that someone would talk to me and be friendly and invite me to their house for lunch and maybe take me for coffee the next week and like that I would make friends with people and start to feel a sense of family and connection. Um, And so what you would want if you were in that situation Um, And I think this is the thing that Ukraine has shown us, isn't it, that it's not that far away and any of us could be in this situation. Um, What would you want and do that? Um, Thank you. Uh, I'm going to stop here.